Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. haven't heard that theme song in a while and i am happy to hear it again this is episode 159 of mark and sarah talk about songs i am your host mark blankenship and with me as ever is the operatically engaging sarah debunting hello sarah <laughs> oh that could mean a lot of things hey mark <laughs> i i mean it as a compliment i mean it as one of those uh comic operas where nobody dies by throwing themselves off of a bridge okay good you are not Turandot here tonight. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Sarah, you have brought a very contemporary song in for us to discuss. So why don't you tell us what that song is? Uh, the artist is a mouthful. It's a band called Lord Huron featuring Phoebe Bridgers, who I feel like we have talked about slash I've used um, for the outro, uh, her song Smoke Signals, um, which is a just beautiful dark gray song that uh, always makes me cry. Uh, But here she's just the featured artist. Uh, It's a song called The Night We Met. And I first heard it on an episode of 13 Reasons Why. If uh, you are familiar with that show and feel like the subject matter might not be something that you want to even think about, you may want to just skip this episode and my apologies. But that is where I heard this song and it joins a um rather shamefully large collection of things that i have shazammed during teen dramas on the cw (laughs) that have become part of my permanent collection starting with a jewel song on dossett's creek wending my way through vampire diaries and that barcelona song come back when you can which i'm just gonna have to breeze right by that reference because that's another one that when you get to the chorus i'm like (laughs) is this how you found bic runga too was bic runga on a tv show maybe oh sidebar I recently had cause to look up the track listing of the Lilith Fair 2CD compilation album that came out that I owned, and Bic Runga is on it. See? I had completely forgotten that I, at one point in my life, owned a Bic Runga song because I had that <laughs> two-disc compilation. So you were a cherry cola girl in your heart. I was. All, all along. Um, yeah, this song, I mean... I sort of wanted to talk about it in that context of the way, what was the other example? Oh yes. Everwood season one at the end. Um, Colin is preparing to go back into surgery and uh, there's this montage of everyone like in the town kind of preparing themselves for this man, young man, but also symbol of the town to undergo brain surgery and his, uh mom is uh shaving his head and before the surgery and uh jump little children is playing and that song just gets me every time so i kind of wanted to talk about how uh tv specifically sort of um that images work together sometimes with songs to make them greater than the sum of their parts but first Mm. let's hear a clip and then i'd love to hear what you thought of the song mark here we go (laughs) 
long clip for a song that actually passed what you've heard there's not a whole lot more to it in terms of terrain it's almost more of like a chant in some ways than it is a sort of you know typical pop song with verses and a chorus it's more like um it's like just deep sadness like it's just that juncture in a heartbreak where you don't feel anything that was good about anything that happened and you just want to go back to where it started so that either you can feel good again or you cannot go there at all mm. um so uh, there's not i mean i wouldn't say that it's like an incredibly narratively sophisticated song but given you know the show that it was on which was about a young woman taking her own life and her friend and like sort of a boy who loved her, but they kind of never went there romantically trying to solve the mystery of what brought her to that point. It's been quite a controversial show. Um, but there was that uh, something about this song that really kind of opened another window into how it is for people who are left behind by any loss. Um, and then you sort of listen to the show without, cause I don't think you watch that show. Do you? I, I do not. No. Okay. So I'm interested to hear how, you know, where it is in your own personal context, because I'm not sure that without that context, that the song is all that compelling. What do you think? I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I had, in fact, uh, never heard of Lord Huron before you recommended this song, but I like that, you know, I I always like finding new things. And there is a version of this song without Phoebe Bridger's backing vocal that was released a year or so before the version with her on it. And I was shocked when I went to Spotify and saw that taken together, the two versions of this song have been listened to over 500 million times holy on fuck. spotify That's i don't like half a billion times yeah and i have to say that to me because i don't have any narrative context for this song it is a big nothing burger of an experience yeah it's not bad when I'm listening to it. I'm not actively unhappy the way that I am with so many songs. And that lyric, I had all of then most of you, some and then none of you. That's nice. And I can remember that having heard the song a few times. I can still say it back to you. But to me, the nondescript quality of the male singer's voice and the 
nondescript quality of the waltz rhythm of the backing music i mean i think there might be some aural interest there if you know the specific reference that it's making but i actually don't like sonically uh, i feel like there's some reference to the 50s but i just i mean maybe but i feel like at this point it's an academic exercise because at, at the end of the day because the the singing to me isn't that interesting the music is just a basic waltz the lyrics are fine it, none of this evokes enough passion in me to really to really investigate it further there's a certain bloodlessness to it that i find in infects a lot of alternative music i think about the band the national for instance which i have tried and fucking tried with the national and i can't do it however i think in a weird way that very nondescript quality may make this song perfect as the accompaniment for a show that i at least perceive to be as high octane in its emotion as 13 reasons why and i can certainly see i can certainly see that if I had encountered this song as the sonic context for that show, it might have had a completely different experience. It might have been a completely different experience for me. Yeah, I think that because my sort of um, onboard computer video generator in my head will put in, um, like, Clay and Hannah looking uh, plaintively at each other, on a mm-hmm. darkened street, um, one of them on his bike, m- much in the manner, I know this keeps coming up, of Brian Krakow and Angela Chase at the end of an evening. Um, but I, I think you're right, and I think you're really onto something with the fact that certain songs, like, they, they need to be a little bit um, uh, pro forma, not pro forma, they need to be a little bit um, by numbers, let's say. Mm-hmm just to let the images uh, stand in front of them uh, so that these things will work together. You have to sort of carve out a space so that those puzzle pieces lock. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's absolutely right. But I was curious because I was like, you know, I'd like to talk about a more contemporary song. And then I was just looking at the stuff that I had downloaded recently. And it's like, where did that come from? And I hit play on it. And immediately I was like, oh, okay. I remember why I downloaded this, but is are my reasons for responding to the song going to translate without, you know, without the same rationale on Mark's side? And I had a feeling that they would not, and they didn't. Uh, and I now I'm thinking now that we're talking about this about um, about the uh, why am I blanking on the name? It was the Oscars episode, and we just talked about the um, uh, film and Sufjan Stevens and oh Tony. yes, yes, uh, the Sufjan Stevens song. Which that got nominated for an Oscar that I really loved. Uh, that I can write. Uh, mystery of Love? Yes. Was that the one that was nominated? Oh, sweet Mystery of Love. Yes, it yeah. was. And uh, now I wonder if that works if you're not watching them on their bikes having this 
you know, idyllic. Yeah, you know what? I think that you might be right about that song. This is actually a fascinating thing to think about, about to be reminded how important visuals can actually be to our experience of sound. Obviously, people who make film have been aware of that since 1909, but, you know, it's always fun to remember things that we kind of know instinctively, and this is one of them. Because you're right, I cannot think about that song without thinking about those two astonishingly attractive men in love with one another racing around in the beautiful scenery in Italy. (laughs) Yeah, and neither can I. I mean, I think they're still, I think they're still effective songs. I still yeah. listen to them from time to time. But w- why is that? Right. And I think Would... there are a number of songs that are that are like that. And but on the other hand, there were a lot of soundtracks I owned that I didn't see the movies that went with them until decades later. Like the Vision Quest soundtrack. You, oh, yeah. Like, you don't need to see that movie. The soundtrack basically tells you what's going on. I mean, you do need to see that movie. Matthew Modine is shirtless a lot, and it's a, it's a good time. But, uh, yeah, that's it. And it's a, it's a very interesting discussion when it comes to... I, I wonder what people older than we are who, like, either didn't have or didn't care about MTV would would think about the proportions of right like the what um of the significance of a visual because certainly now it's just automatic for me to supply a visual with a song but when the visual but then at has the same already time, been supplied i think about i that makes me think again about the saturday night fever soundtrack yeah those are great songs but i feel like the visual of john travolta or whatever's going on in that movie when those songs are playing really ups the ante for people and that was certainly in the pre-mtv era but that that movie is filled with music videos basically yeah for sure or or you think about the theme song to welcome back cotter to keep it in the john travolta place Mm -hmm. (laughs) that song welcome back is not very good it's very forgettable but because it was the theme song to a good show and people could start associating those visuals with that subpar song, that song was a number one hit. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's just and it, I could it's probably, so true. I love that theme song. There's something so t- just like familiar and also um, catchy about it. Just the harmonies like from the golden era of uh, theme songs that actually told you what was going on. Yes. I could probably draw the graffiti on that B train on the elevated track from memory. (laughs) I'm also thinking now, though, about what you said about the Vision Quest soundtrack and how obviously there's this category of songs that are perfect for subtly enhancing the scene that they're in. And their perhaps mediocrity is enhanced in our memories because of how well they support the narrative of the visual. But then the vision quest soundtrack is in that category of songs that are so energetic and so full of compelling elements that they transcend the perhaps shitty movie that they were part of. It makes me think about cradle of love by Billy Idol was Uh the, in the movie adventures of Ford Fairlane starring Andrew Dice Clay. (laughs) I don't think anybody really remembers that movie now. 
Uh, that is some that is some good intel listeners yeah <laughs> get what you pay for Woo. <laughs> but you know like that song certainly transcended its shitty movie or pat benatar's invincible i'm sure we talked about this when we ranked her greatest mm-hmm. hits in the legend of billy jean although i love that movie same but let's not act like it's good because it ain't yeah i guess the perfect i guess maybe from a uh hegelian <laughs> Uh, dialectic perspective what you're looking for is the ultimate synthesis of a song that is great on its own that also enhances our appreciation of the visual that's the hegelian dialectic where you get thesis antithesis synthesis and then you think about danger zone by kenny loggins and top gun is an example of that and i also wonder um I also wonder what role sort of the soundtrack, the instrumental tracks of a soundtrack play. Um, There was this documentary called, I believe, The Good Death, and it was just talking about um, uh, the the idea of the good death in um, the Victorian era, but specifically as it pertained to uh, Civil War deaths Mm -hmm. and the ways that soldiers would try to create good deaths for themselves and would like you know they knew they were dying and they're sort of on the battlefield just waiting for the inevitable. wait is this is this is this based on the book this republic of suffering yes it is because i read that book and i remember this very clearly that was a very compelling part of that book yeah and uh the documentary has a i think it won some awards this uh this soundtrack but they're showing some historian is doing a voiceover over um Uh, still photos of uh, after the war ended the two sides sort of revisiting battlefields in formerly enemy territory to retrieve their dead uh, Mm, and bring mm -hmm. them home to sort of try to claw back a good death for the for the dead from this experience and there's this I, i mean the soundtrack is just steeped in rue steeped in rue as uh my english teacher dr cole used to say about the end of gatsby may she rest and gatsby also uh and it was extremely effective and i i bought the soundtrack and there's a lot of like more light-hearted or just less like heavy sadness tracks on there too um it's a good sort of speaking of folklore a good like folkloric background to have on if you're trying to write something but uh that's extremely effective still even without words that are Mm. cluing you to what's going on and even without the visuals which were i mean yes i associate it with that but if i'm not paying attention and itunes shuffle just puts it on then i'm you know i'm not sure where to locate it but it still gives me that feeling so I wonder if anyone has written a book just about, like, the art of the soundtrack. Yeah. We should well, do that. We, we have the same literary <laughs> agent, so maybe we should just quickly send her an email. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, with all our free time? Sure. Yeah. I just want to now take a minute, if I may go down a side road that becomes possibly a cul-de-sac, and talk for a second about the way that this book slash documentary gets at the idea of the good death. Uh, This Republic of Suffering, written by Drew Gilpin Faust, a historian who then went on to become the president of Harvard. 
as you do. Gets at this idea that the good death was so important to people in America before the Civil War because it was uh, a signal of not only how one had lived, but how one would live in the afterlife. And there was this belief that lives could always be given a sense of purpose in their end. And this was in the era when people still had bodies laid out in their homes uh, instead of sending them off to funeral homes, which weren't really a thing yet. But then the enormity of the uh, the enormous amount of deaths that came in the Civil War and that came so quickly and that came when people were so far away from home meant that suddenly the rituals of the good death were destroyed and there was this attempt to hold on to them for a while. But eventually people were getting buried in fields by strangers who'd never seen them before and no one knew what to do with that anymore. And I just think that that's such an interesting historical tension in this nation's psyche to suddenly have to contend with the fact that maybe there's actually no good way to die anymore. And what have we done to ourselves as a country? If we've done that, there I have was nothing also... to say. Sorry, go ahead. I have nothing to say about that that relates to Lord Huron, but I needed to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I hadn't read the book, but my dad loved it. I definitely recommend the documentary. Um, and not least for this idea, um, this sort of capital R romantic sublime idea that this was one of the few things that began to reunite the country into a single unit was the were the efforts on both sides to repatriate the physical dead and mm. the organizations that were formed for this and the families that were helped by this and the shared just ziggurat of horror that it involved logistically and like entire trains that were only coffins and sometimes they only contained the uniform because the battle had happened in 1861 and it was 1867 now i mean it it's really it's really something that that this is how parts of the country pulled together again after the war with each other um Lord Huron to is take not concerned to, with that, but... Uh. <laughs> but it does go back to what you were saying, which is the soundtrack of the documentary got at something orally that helps you access both the intellectual and emotional scope of what that subject was, which takes us back to the fact that sometimes a song like uh, The Day We Met... Uh, by Lord Huron featuring Phoebe Bridgers can also create a template for us to access a comprehension of a storyteller's ends. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like a key to an emotional room. And I will add on conclusion that the choice to use the version featuring Phoebe Bridgers was particularly effective in unlocking that for me because of the way I feel when I listen to her song Smoke Signals and to watch that video, which is very um, dreamlike, like it's not a it's not a happy dream, but it's not a nightmare either. There's this dreamlike, like here's where we reunite with our dead sometimes is in our dreams. So mm. even if you can't like hear her all the time in the track to know that she's there is to be taken by the hand in a way. And I guess that that speaks to the theme of the young woman who has died in that show. Yeah. 
like maybe that's sort of a representate her presence on the song is like the ghostly presence of this girl in the show yeah which would which would fit i mean the show there there was no show that made my tv survey students more animatedly furious than Mm. 13 reasons why and i won't get into it but it it does do some things effectively even if it does not do them well or responsibly Mm. at times so um the choice of this song apparently was um was indicated because we're still talking about it even though you're like eh here we are 20 minutes later so yeah but you know but that's one of the reasons i like this show is because there's so much more to talking about art than i like it or i don't like it and this is always such a refreshing reminder of that like i don't really like this song but there's still stuff to be said and there's still stuff to explore and and there's even stuff art that, that we you found don't out necessarily... about each other's like common references Yes. T- totally off to the side, which is, you know, basically where we live. It's like immediate sidebar and then 20 minutes of talking about Civil War history. So uh, if there's nothing else that we can offer to one another, it is the opportunity to remember that talking about songs can sometimes just be an excuse to talk about the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm glad that we've reached a detente. Now you have to play an outro song by The Civil Wars. I feel like that's all I'm going to say. I might go with that soundtrack. Leave them crying. and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash massdass.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e 
AV on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.